Welcome to Origins, a podcast about the money behind the money. This podcast is created by Notation, a pre-seed venture capital firm based in Brooklyn, New York. We invest in product-focused teams on day zero. If you're starting a new company or want to get in touch, you can find us on Twitter at Notation Capital or email us at hello at notation.vc. If you want to work at a Notation portfolio company, check out jobs.notation.vc. This episode is sponsored by Silicon Valley Bank and Cooley LLP. Silicon Valley Bank is the bank of the world's most innovative companies and their investors with a dedicated practice for emerging managers. They've been friends and partners to Notation since the beginning. To learn more about SVB's services, visit svb.com. Cooley LLP is the global law firm for tech, life sciences, and other high-growth industries. It's the world's most active venture capital law firm in forming funds and completing investments. We've worked with Cooley since the beginning of Notation. They've helped us form all three Notation funds. We recommend them to all the startups we work with and many of our VC peers as well. Learn more about the firm and check out its dedicated site for startups and investors at CooleyGo.com. Matt Oksher is a portfolio manager of private equity at the University of Chicago, where he focuses on private equity investments, particularly venture capital. He examines investments across asset classes and researches new investment opportunities. Since joining the Chicago Office of Investments in 2012, he's also served as an operations analyst and a senior portfolio analyst. Before joining the university endowment, he worked at LaSalle Bank and he graduated with an MBA from the University of Chicago Booth School of Business. Matt, thank you so much for doing this. I know we've talked about one of these for years and <laughs> the scheduling has been difficult, but now that everything's done via Zoom, it's, it's gotten a little bit easier, but hey, thank you for doing this. And I think a, a great place to start would just be tell us a little bit about yourself and your background. Yeah. And thanks for the flexibility. It's been uh, my fault that it, it keeps getting delayed. So I appreciate your patience with me. So all good. All good. Yeah. A little bit of, about me. Uh, I'm, I'm a Chicagoan through and through. I grew up in the, the suburbs here. Big Cubs fan. Went to undergrad at, at St. Louis University and, and studied uh, finance. Didn't really know what I wanted to do, but graduated into the, the start of the financial crisis. And, and I think you and I have talked about having uh, yes. sort of parallel paths through it. That's right. What year did you graduate? Oh, seven. Okay. Me too. Yeah. So we're the same uh, yeah. page. Yeah. Yeah. We, so we, we, uh, we caught, we caught that perfectly. Yeah. It worked out <laughs> amazingly. Um, and, and even better, I, I went into uh, uh, a role at a, a couple of banks um, serving as trustee on uh residential mortgage-backed securities. So uh, right Perfect. into the structured finance Perfect. world, kind of in, in the middle of investors and loan underwriters and uh, had had kind of a crash course through uh, a tough market and, and quickly saw um, things go sideways. But it was an uh, interesting opportunity to, to learn a lot about working out tough transactions and, and really digging into legal documents. This is kind of a random question, but yeah. I, I feel like having gone through the financial crisis myself as basically my first professional experience, I feel like I'll always have this touch of bearishness in me that's like really hard to shed, especially as a VC. And I'm curious, I'm curious if you have that too. I, I'm always ner- <laughs> nervous. Um, yeah. 
I think uh, I, I'm sure we'll talk a bit about it later. I think one of the uh, reasons why our team works really well together is that I, I see the the risk side a lot in in mm. uh, the investments that we make. And Joanna, who's our managing director of private equity, is much better at seeing the the upside, and and that helps mm. balance it out. Um, yeah, do you have the same the same dynamic with Alex. Probably. Yeah, probably. I think I've shed most of it by this point, but I, I suspect that many folks from our our graduating era have that like bearishness, like deeply embedded in them somewhere. Yeah, it's so, always a tickle, right? Yeah. You're always there's always the voice somewhere in there. I do think it's useful to have experiences where like things can go really wrong. You know, like more more wrong than you would ever imagine. Like I do think that is that is useful. I also think it's equally as useful to understand like when things can go really bright, especially especially in venture. It it gives you kind of a clear eyed sense of what you can actually do to to fix things. Like mm-hmm. there, there's only so much. It, it's helpful to have the experience of of just how difficult it is to work through tough transactions or, or, yeah. or tough. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, I did that for uh, for for four years, and then uh, joined U Chicago first on our ops team, which was really interesting. Uh, focused on a lot of transaction settlements and, and execution of of investments. Um, good experience. How did, how did you get connected to the endowment? Through a, a headhunter, honestly, um, okay. it was uh, yeah. very fortunate. I had decided that working at a bank wasn't a great fit for me, and and had been trying for a little while to find something that was a, a bit better. I frankly didn't know that much about the endowment world right. uh, beforehand and um, did a couple of, of interviews and, and felt like it was a, a fast fit and, and a great opportunity and um, great team. So I uh, jumped at it and, and was very fortunate there. So you started on the operational side? Yeah, uh, on the opposite. And then moved and then moved into the investment side. How how did that come to be? I mean, I guess it's a small team, so you kind yeah, of it's a knew small everybody team. at that point. But it's a team that doesn't hire that much from the outside. Um, and we had a, an analyst on the investment side leave, and and I raised my hand and yeah. was fortunate to move over first covering our our pension plans and, and more liquid assets, and then moving over to the the PE team in a similar role a little bit later, which was. Uh, a great opportunity. What is, what is covering the pension plans mean? In addition to the endowment, our office oversees several non-endowment pools of assets, oh. and one of them is a defined benefit uh, pension plan. Oh, interesting. For Chicago employees. That's right. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. And that's all. And that's all commingled in like basically one large pool of assets. No, there's different pools with different rules. The pension plans uh, aren't invested in. The same illiquid assets or the same asset allocation. It, it's more okay. appropriate for the um, return needs of the pools and, and uh, managing the risk there appropriately. Yeah. Okay. Got it. And so today you focus purely on on private equity. That's right. Meaning venture and private. Yeah, I'm on a, on a three person private equity team. As I mentioned, Joanne is our managing director of PE and, and oversees both buyout and venture. Um, I focus on our venture portfolio. Okay. Uh, which is predominantly early stage through kind of venture style growth. Uh, and we have a, a, a third colleague named Matt Hill who focuses on the buyout side of our portfolio, which means 
cash flow and growth up through uh, large buyouts. So the focus is is more often uh, middle market and lower middle market. Okay. Could you tell us a little bit about the history of the Chicago endowment and maybe how the approach to private equity broadly has changed over the years? Yeah, I'll do my best. The, the endowment's been uh, uh, an investor and in venture in private equity since 1978. Okay, wow, wow. Okay, so it's, it's been basically a part of the portfolio for, for a very long time. Yeah, but it, it, it grew significantly in the late 90s and, and um, throughout the mid-2000s. So it, it, while we made our, our first investment in, in the late 70s, it, it wasn't as significant a, a part of the portfolio uh, until much later. Do you know, do you know the firm? Western Investment Associates was was the fund. Uh, yeah, it's uh, as far as I can tell, it there's not a lot of information out there about it. But, uh, <laughs> okay, and it doesn't exist today. It didn't like morph into some other firm. I think it did, but I'm not 100 percent sure that okay. I'm right on who it who it morphed into. Got it. There's a, a a couple of really outstanding relationships that that date back a long time within the portfolio one from 1987 and, and some from the late 90s that, that have continued on today, which is really great for, for building our platform and kind of giving us the, the tailwind to do new things like uh, seed investing and, and following new managers. The endowment today is a, a bit over $8 billion. We have a, a, a bit of a different approach from a lot of other kind of peer endowments. Uh, we call it team uh, total enterprise asset management. And, and Take a total view of, of the university and um, its assets and liabilities and, and its needs into account when setting our asset allocation. So that's meant that we uh, have a, a put in place a, a beta framework and target a, a, an overall exposure to equities uh, of a 0.8 to a 0.9 beta to a global equities index and and uh, have been targeting a 35 percent level of illiquidity though we expect that to grow closer to a 40% level over the next mm. few years. So if I, if I forgive me, but if I interpret that, that means you essentially want like lower volatility compared to the market, obviously like much more illiquid than your probably typical pool of assets. And do you have like an investment target return every year? My understanding is most endowments, you know, target some, inflation rate plus a few percentage points or whatever. Yeah, we're we're trying to earn a, a strong real return for the university. We have a, a payout rate of five and a half percent. So um, trying to earn a, a, a real return and above that plus expenses and, and inflation. Okay. And you're right that uh, we try to um, reduce the, the volatility of, of the nav of the pool. And um, hopefully that provides a, a strong, stable payout to the university. So I'm jumping way ahead here, so forgive me. But given we're talking about the you you manage your endowment as it relates to the ongoing requirements and expenses of the university, I imagine that calculation has potentially changed in the last few months, given COVID nineteen and given students I uh, assume are are not at the university today and maybe maybe won't be back in fall. Like, how does that change the calculation for, for how you guys manage the endowment? If at, all, if at all. I mean, I assume most students are paying, still paying tuition. So in that sense, maybe it doesn't change. But yeah, it's, um, it's, a, it's a really interesting question. We have been 
kind of taking a patient approach as, as you know, it's evolved a lot since earlier mid-March when, when we had a stay-at-home order here in Illinois and right. students didn't return after spring break. We're, we're talking in, in mid-June. We haven't decided or announced how we're going to handle students coming back in the fall. The university, I believe, expects to make a decision by the end of June. So that'll help give a, a stronger sense of uh, how things might evolve in the fall. Our, uh, our team approach, I think, helped a lot. Uh, we, we had some tail risk investments that paid off and, and helped generate cash and, and comfort in the portfolio. And I think generally we have uh, a really good liquidity profile across the endowment. There's a lot of challenges that, that are evolving really quickly and, and really slowly at the, at the same time. Right. The university uh, manages a, a, a large hospital and the hospital treated uh, a significant number of COVID patients here in, in Chicago. You know, as you mentioned, there's uncertainty about if the students are coming back and how many are coming back and when they're coming back, mm-hmm. you know, so our positioning has been, you know, be ready to support the, the university as we can. I think in general, it's just a, a tough time for schools because it's, it's so uncertain as to the pace of how things will change the, the duration of the pressure um, yep. and then uncertainty in, in, the path of the asset prices in in their endowment pools. We did informal outreach and um, survey of of peer institutions that we're close with, kind of a a range of endowments, foundations, uh, pension funds in in early April. I think I was more nervous and more unsure then, and and the equity markets were were down a lot more then. Yeah, and it it felt like a lot of folks were in a wait and see mode with a lot of their focus on on making sure that they can support the institution uh, first and foremost, and then altering their investment plans from there. Mm-hmm. It, it seems it seems like a lot of people have have settled into a a, a mode of being patient and seeing how things evolve, but uh, um, kind of staying the course of of where they were at. Right. So it seems like at least today, at this moment. They're probably for for a school like Chicago. I'll just generalize here. Like, there's probably not a major impact revenue impact yet for Chicago as a university. I suspect there is. Okay. I don't know a lot of the details, but okay. uh, I, I think. But you're basically what you're what you're saying is you're preparing as an endowment to be ready to fund some of that gap if it if it if it exists. Yeah, I think um, we've we've always maintained a, a liquidity profile that'll that'll let us do that, and you know, it, first and foremost, support the institution mm-hmm. both now and and over the long run. So you've been doing uh, private equity at Chicago now for uh, six years. Six years. I'm curious uh, when when you started, how since since over the last six years, maybe how the how the broader strategy has evolved, and then I'm also curious, just you personally, kind of how you learned in the early days and how you've come up to speed. I mean, it sounds like you have some great mentors and Joanna and others. So I'm also curious how maybe your own views on, on venture um, have evolved in the last six years. Sure. Our, our focus in the, in the venture portfolio is um, on early stage investments, uh, primarily managers in seed and in series a space and, you know, including uh, pre-seed managers in, in that bucketing. Yep. When Joanna took over the portfolio, she um, took a look around and, and made the, I think, correct assessment that 
uh, we'd be better off developing new relationships and, and focusing on uh, opportunities in, in seed, especially than trying to hang around the hoop and, and pick up small allocations to really, really great managers. And that was when she took over maybe 10 years ago? 2012. Okay. So yeah, eight, eight or nine years. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, and having that mature portfolio and some of those really long lived relationships is, has helped us use that as a core and, and build into some new and interesting opportunities from there. So having really outstanding relationships as a backbone and, and consistent return generators has given us a bit more comfort to take on new things like like seed and, and pre-seed relationships. Yeah. yeah. I think of Chicago as one of the more forward, and this includes you, like more, more forward thinking of the maybe traditional endowments and, and, and institutions. In that, that's in that kind of you. I hope that's true. <laughs> I think it's true. I think it is. Could you talk about maybe some of the things that, you know, your own personal kind of preferences and views on picking managers and maybe like what, what you were looking for what, or what you thought you were looking for when you first joined and, and maybe how that, what you're looking for today and how that's changed. I try to keep it kind of simple and, and say that uh, we're looking for managers that are good at sourcing, good at helping their companies and, and good at finding follow on financings. I think all three of those are especially important uh, the earlier stage you go. And that's obviously an, an oversimplification. I think that's really evolved for me personally into really focusing on the sourcing side and, and, and trying to find managers that have uh, robust and, and durable paths to, to sourcing unique companies. And then being able to develop the individual conviction to, to make those investments as, as a lead, um, which, I, again, especially important uh, the earlier you go. What, how do you, how do you evaluate that? Like what, what is, what does that even mean in today's market? A lot of phone calls, a lot of, a lot of references. I love talking to founders and, and just asking who they like to work with, who they see, how easy is it to, to get in with a, a manager, who they send their friends to yeah. and, and try to understand, you know, what that sourcing edge is. Um, for some folks, it's, the local champion who has you know a, a compounding deal flow advantage every time they do a visible deal in their market or in their sector or or yeah. in their stage um, that it just elevates them as as the expert in that field. We have some managers that are are more research driven and the depth and breadth of their coverage grows as they do more and more research and and then it helps them. Uh, move into new areas because they they have a, a level of comfort with the market and and the technology and the evolution of of areas that they're studying and and helps them be first movers into maybe frontier areas or or areas that are uh, a little bit less covered by other VCs and then we like sector uh, specialists across the the PE portfolio I think this is really apparent on the buyout side uh, but. We also have some select uh, sector specialists on the on the venture side. Um, one life sciences manager, um, and then managers that are are deep in specific areas of uh, the technology market. One of the common things that that I hear from the larger institutions that are say you know five ten billion dollar plus is that you know doing seed and certainly pre seed is 
just like really hard to do. The math is hard to make work. Writing a $5 million check is not going to move the needle. How, how do you do that? Uh, it is, it is a, a lot of work. Uh, I think it, it feels like it, it's gotten easier the deeper that we go. Um, there's mm-hmm. only so many people that are uh, first check writers and, and inception stage builders as, as VCs. Uh, you know, I think you and, and Notation operate in a, a kind of a, a small world. I'm, I'm not sure if you see it differently. It is kind of a, a lot of work relative to, to check size. I, I think um, you can reasonably make the case that you, you could do the same amount of work and, and write a bigger check into a right a or expansion stage firm. You know, I, I see it as an opportunity to invest in a less efficient market and find folks that are, are excellent investors and, and uh, can generate outstanding fund returns here. And, and that makes it worthwhile. We definitely expect uh, stronger returns the earlier, the earlier we go. And I, I right. mean, net multiples on, on the fund and that's helpful. And then we, we like to partner early with managers and, and grow as they grow. So it might be a, a $5 million check in, in the first fund, but um, as they evolve, hopefully we're into the, 10, 12, 15 million dollar range right. as, as they grow their their fund and, and their firm and their team. Do you have internal targets or or do you message targets to managers? Like, you know, series A funds, you want to see a 3X or a 4X or a seed fund, do you want to see a 5X? Like, do you try to underwrite in that in that manner? Uh, it's really hard to be precise. I think that's a, a really good way for me to be wrong all the time. Mm. Uh, mm. But the models are are always right, though I thought <laughs> the Excel models. <laughs> People uh, I, I think I think we can make a model say anything, so we oh, yeah. can come up with any number yeah. we want. But uh, we'd really like to see three x net minimum, uh, and and uh, uh, hopefully, if you're you're thinking of of the distribution, you know, a, a really fat tail on the upside of of five x and beyond. Some of our our best managers have have hit the the ten x net range, and and uh, I'd love to see that uh, you know across the portfolio. Do you work with fund of funds? Uh, we do. Uh, we have one relationship in Asia where um, it, it's a little bit more difficult to conduct on the ground mm-hmm. diligence, especially now. And uh, we don't have any Mandarin speakers in, in the office. So uh, it's especially helpful there. Are you guys active outside the US? I mean, it's not like in Asia through through this fund to fund and maybe some other relationships. Yeah, we are. So we split the the, the PE book uh, into, into three subgroups. Uh, it's a uh, one-third U.S. venture, one-third U.S. buyout, and then one-third international. And that international bucket uh, is approximately 50-50 buyout in VC with, with some growth in the middle there. And, and we commit capital targeting that one-third, one-third, one-third allocation. It's tough to do that precisely every year, but uh, yeah. over a three- or five-year period, we expect capital to go out one-third each. On the international side, in venture, we're predominantly Europe, which is mostly London-based, India, Southeast Asia, uh, and China. Where do you think that, you know, when you uh, maybe started six or nine years ago, maybe, you know, seed or maybe when Joanna started, like building out the seed program was a priority and, and maybe still white space. Now there's obviously hundreds of, of, of seed managers. How do you think about navigating the market today? Forget about COVID-19 and we'll talk about some of the other 
you know, major issues going on, but just from a, just from a competitive standpoint, like how, how do you kind of sort through the market? Where, where do you think the biggest opportunities are to come? Are you still looking at new managers? Yeah, we are looking at new managers. I, we add, I'll call it zero to two new managers per year. Having the portfolio that we do means that we have the privilege of, of only adding managers when we think they're great. And, and it's uh, really comforting that, to have that approach. We've done a bit in pre-seed and we've done a bit in uh, markets outside of Silicon Valley lately, um, sometimes overlapping. I think the, the opportunity set with, with talent and, and capital able to, to find homes outside of Silicon Valley is, is compelling. And there's some managers that have done an excellent job of, of building that really great sourcing network in their local markets and then also building a, a really strong follow-on network where they, they are uh, good deal referrers to, to great follow-on investors. Even though there's kind of ever more new managers, there's still a, a small set of, of investors that attract the best deal flow and, and lead deals and then have those strong relationships with, with follow-on investors that help their companies uh, move along to the next stage and, and build and grow. Do you think pre-seed is the biggest opportunity? It, it's <laughs> funny. I feel like uh, I haven't been doing this for that long, but pre-seed was what I thought seed was when, when I started. Yeah. And it's only been, in reality, a few years. I like uh, inception stage for, for company investing. I think it's easiest to just call it inception stage because you know what you're, yeah. what you're talking about. Yeah, the, no, the nomenclature has kind of become meaningless at this point. That fits with my, my risk tolerance and, and uh, return aspirations. Um, yeah. I think it's a little bit easier to discern that individual conviction and the strength of the, the sourcing network when you're, when you're looking at companies at that stage. Yeah. Uh, you know, how do you pull companies and, and founders into your funnel and, and how do you sort and, and how do you make those decisions? Um, it's a little bit easier to evaluate if uh, if you're the only person who's seen that deal. I think I think it's a little bit uh, more often that you might be the only firm or the only GP that's that's uh, interacted with a company at that stage and, and can really demonstrate that sourcing hook and an ability to, to win and close a deal there. We talked a little bit about how you know, Chicago. You, you guys are approaching the current the current environment. I'm speaking about coronavirus at the moment. Have you made any meaningful changes to 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 kind of how you're approaching this environment, whether that's in private equity or broadly? I know I know you were kind of saying, look, we're on this track to get to you know 40 percent liquid. Like, have you made any course corrections in the last few months, given given the current environment? Or maybe slowed certain areas down, or or are you just kind of like staying the course? Yeah, it's um, there's a tension from a lot of really interesting areas here. Um, a lot of our existing managers are raising, or have raised, or are planning to raise in in this year for us. So the way we commit capital is is setting a, a commitment budget for the year, uh, trying to grow that smoothly as, as the endowment grows so that we're, we're allocating roughly evenly in, in each vintage year. But we, we allocate that first to our existing managers where we have high conviction and then add from there. So even, even though the environment is characterized by uncertainty and 
upheaval and and all of these things that are a little bit nerve wracking. Um, we have a lot of high conviction managers that are that are raising capital, and 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 that makes it a little bit easier to stay the course. Mm-hmm. Is there a specific reason why everybody's coming back to raise this year, or it's just more just coincidence? I, I think it's uh, yes and no. I think it's a little bit of coincidence. I think there's some managers that um, we're trying to get their funds raised and closed before the election this fall, which yeah, you know, doesn't really have anything to do with with. Yeah, it turns out the the election is the the least significant item on a long yeah, list of I, items right now. That happened two years ago with the midterms, and that yeah. happened with all of our European managers right before every Brexit vote. So I, yeah. I you know, that that wasn't a surprise. I think you know managers are are keen to get funds close that they've started on, uh, while the, the equity markets, the public markets are still trading at, at high levels, uh, which yeah. I, I understand uh, their perspective there. As far as changes go, you know, we, we had a couple of underwritings ongoing as this hit and, and we moved into kind of the teeth of stay at home, uh, orders. And for the existing managers, it's been kind of a, a smooth transition to Conducting everything over Zoom, yeah, and, and you know we've we've used video conferencing as as a, a tool in our kit for underwriting and, and collaborating with our managers for a long time. So that's been a natural transition. There's a couple of new manager relationships that we've been working on, and that's been a bit more difficult. You know, it, it's it's much more comfortable to to sit across the table from from yeah. people, read body language. Yeah see how partnerships interact and um, just understand people on, on that more intimate personal level and, and doing that over zooms a, a bit tougher. You know, it's, it's hard to, it's hard to ask questions without stepping on somebody and it's hard to see if somebody's rolling their eyes at an answer and it's, it, it's really tough to judge. So I think our, our response has been to, to do more, uh, to do more references, to do, more calls with the teams to, to spend more time internally talking about what we're working on. And, and so far that's, that seems to be, seems to be working. We haven't closed on, on any of those uh, relationships yet, but you know, these were things that were, were in, in progress for some time, 18 months or, or, or two years of relationship building. Yeah. How about like super new managers? I imagine that's probably really hard. Yeah, it's, like if, if even the <laughs> even the new relationships that with folks that you've maybe known for a few years are hard. Like I imagine, like are you even doing new intros meetings at this point? It's really tough, and our commitment budget comes into play there. Where yeah, having a lot of it spoken for with existing managers is is helpful, but it's also limiting. So, you know, trying to be cognizant of, of our time and, and uh, a GP's time uh, engaging in those conversations. One of the things that uh, we're struggling with is how to do that. Uh, and if, if it's the right thing to do, uh, a lot of our managers don't want to invest in a company without meeting them in person. So it's, it's hard to talk to a manager who says they won't invest without meeting them in person and then make a leap to, to investing in their fund. Yeah. That's just hard for me to wrap my, my mind around, I guess. But, uh, so far we haven't, we haven't tried to take up something that's completely new and, and take it to a, a finish line. How are you seeing, um, VCs and managers that you work with react to this and what are you advising folks through, through this period? 
And any like significant changes or are you seeing mostly folks just kind of stay the course? We've been really happy with our, our managers. Um, they've all been super transparent, you know, measured in their responses and, and saying and doing the things that you, you'd hope they do. Venture's a, a really long-term game and, and our sense is that, you know, nobody panicked. They did the right thing. Triage portfolio companies extend runways and, yeah. and get them through that, that first period of, of the most uncertainty. I think they've done a great job of of sorting on what issues are are most important and addressing those. Some have companies that have been able to close a ton of new revenue and, and close up rounds throughout this period, which is really exciting. And and I think that speaks well to the the strategies and and the managers and and the companies uh, in the portfolios. Some are in more challenging markets, or um, you know, are are having to take more of a runway extension approach uh and and we'll see how it goes from there but uh, uh overall we're super happy across the portfolio with how our managers have reacted how about in um i'm curious just because you also touch other areas of private equity ha- have there been more significant changes and maybe buyout or or growth equity compared to early stage venture i only know enough to to be dangerous here, I think. But um, our, our managers there, you know, similar impression. They've done a, a great job of being transparent and, and proactive. You know, having debt on the companies is a bit of a different ballgame. So right. you're you're having to be thoughtful about tripping covenants and and making sure that you're making payments and and working with your lenders. And my understanding is that it's gone as well as you could expect. And, you know, as, as companies are able to open up and, and generate revenue, some of the, some of those concerns are, are lessened or, or go away, which is, which is helpful. But uh, I think it's been a, a similar approach where, uh, you know, a steady hand is, has, has been the winning way to go. And, and managers have gone out of their way to be communicative and, and transparent and um, keeping us up to speed with where the companies are. How do you think the market will evolve longer term? I mean, do you, do you think there will be long-term impacts on venture? Do you think it will shrink? Or do you think this is like just a just a blip? I, I opened up a, a kind of a document where I keep notes. And the first thing I wrote down was fewer funds. And that seems wrong. Uh, the, the, <laughs> yes. the fundraising. Yes, I would have guessed the same thing a few months ago. Yeah, the fundraising market continues to, to have pace and, and volume mm-hmm. and it's it's really interesting so um, wrong on my first thought uh, I am curious to see if uh, managers prefer longer investment periods and, and a little bit more time diversity in in their portfolios yeah. uh, and I'm curious to see if managers uh, prefer to get a little bit more early liquidity so if your company raises that billion dollar round or, or multi-billion dollar valuation round, um, will managers have a higher propensity to, to take some capital off the table to, to generate mm-hmm. liquidity and, and lock in returns? Mm-hmm. And I think in general, that's a, a really healthy thing to do. Uh, you can't take away DPI. Uh, yeah. I think it's a, a prudent way to, to manage a portfolio. Hmm. Interesting. And have you already seen that in the last few months? Or that's just, you suspect that that will be the case? I suspect that going forward. We've had a couple of managers say that they, might do fewer companies in their portfolio or might slow their investment pace. I think some people that are are less comfortable with doing new investments with teams they haven't met or have just 
slow their investment pace because they, they can't get in front of people. I don't think the uh, liquidity thing is, has, has come up. Because I, I don't know that there have been opportunities for it. And that's something that we'll have to see if it plays out over time. How about the LP ecosystem? I mean, you know, endowments like Chicago obviously are super stable, long-term thinking, and you know, many many other endowments and other foundations and others are are too. I'm curious on the LP side if you've seen maybe or heard rumblings from 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 managers or other LPACs that you're on. Like, do you think there will be pockets of the LP ecosystem that that pull back on venture? You know, I'm I'm not sure. Uh, my sense is is no, at least immediately. Mm. We had a couple of conversations with with other LPs where you know the the sense was to try to buy secondary positions if if somebody uh, decided mm. that venture wasn't for them. And I haven't seen any of those come to market. So there was there's definitely appetite from similarly situated LPs to um, get closer to their, their best managers, but the opportunity hasn't popped up yet, which means that uh, everybody around the table is, is still in and, and, and still involved with their, their managers. You know, we'll see. I, I, I think when we reached out and, and talked to uh, that peer set, uh, everybody was, was kind of staying the course. And, and I think that's probably the way that, that it'll go until there's certainty about when students come back and, mm. You know, hospitals are doing elective surgeries, and um, we get a sense that there's a, a level uh, where the market is going to stay or or, or settle in, mm. and it's it's just really tough to to see around the curve here. Moving on to a whole separate crisis that is uh, Black Lives Matter and 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 um, systemic racism that exists through our society and certainly exists in the venture and startup ecosystems. I'm curious your general view on what's happening and and Chicago's view and you know both both from a university perspective and also an endowment perspective how how you guys are thinking about it. Yeah, um it's a big question. Uh, you know, I I personally have a lot to learn. I think um a lot of folks in the venture community have done a, a incredible job of, of helping educate people, not that it's their role or, or their job, but Rich Kirby and, and Kanye Makabella have been tweeting and, and teaching and um, the, the group at Black VC put on their program of, of sharing their experiences, both as citizens and, and as venture investors. And I just, I know I have a, a, a lot to learn here. From an institutional perspective and, and focused on venture and investing, um, you know, diversity has been an important priority for the university ac- across right. everything that it touches. On the investment side, it, it's uh, something that we focus on in our manager underwritings. We have over $1.3 billion uh, invested in minority and women-owned businesses. Every time we're underwriting a, a new manager, we're testing their their approach to diversity and, and building diverse teams and, and building portfolios that include diverse founding teams and, and, and management yep. teams. We ask a lot about, you know, what do you measure? How do you, how do you measure it? Um, how do you hire? How do you coach your portfolio companies to hire? And, and 
hopefully increasing inclusivity and, and equity across their, their teams and, and their portfolio companies. It's, it's really important to see our managers adding investors to their teams and, and making sure that they're, they're getting good allocations of checkbook to, to make new investments, uh, appropriate right. titles, getting them board roles, getting them mentoring, sharing in the carry, uh, sharing in the management company equity, um, giving them opportunities to invest in, in the GP commitment and, and compound wealth. Yeah. And hopefully meeting their LPs so that if they would like to raise their own fund, that they already have relationships with, with folks on our side of the table. I, I think that our generation kind of expects that there will be diversity at, at, at the table. So when you're meeting a, a manager or a, sorry, when you're meeting a founder who's, who's about our age, I, I, I get the sense that our generation expects it. And beyond that, I think the, the next generation is, is going to demand it. So I, I think that's where the world is going and, and it'll be uh, better for it. What's your, your experience been or, or your views been and, and how they changed over the last couple of weeks? I, I think similar. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's clear that the industry broadly has a lot more work to do and that includes notation. And we've been listening and, and looking inward and trying to understand our own approach, both from a team perspective and also working and talking to all the founders that we work with. So, you know, we have, I'd say the way that we think about it is we have a lot more work to do. It's something that we've been thinking about for a long time, you know, well, well before Black Lives Matter. And it's something that's a, that's a high priority for us. And um, I, I forget who coined this, but you know, I, I love the phrase, make the hire, make the wire or write the check, make the hire. And I think that's really what we have to do above all else. I mean, we, as we build our team at Notation, thinking about what that looks like from a diversity and inclusion perspective, and then also thinking about actually writing checks. And that's really, I think, the biggest impact that we can have. So it's definitely top of mind. It has been for a while and we have a lot more work to do. And so we've, we've been kind of quiet, you know, in terms of publicly saying all that much or tweeting it feels that feels kind of thin to me but we've been thinking hard around um just how we build our team in the future and and how we spend our dollars and then from a new york perspective being in new york it's just been um you know i think both sad but also inspiring to see all the all of the activity and protests and i i actually live right by the barclays center so that's been kind of the center of, of many of the protests in brooklyn i participated in many of them and many of them are actually being led by young kids like many of the protests i've been to have been led by teenagers and i think you're right i think the next generation is gonna um, is already demanding change and that's actually really inspiring to see so this is one area where i'm i'm an optimist for our futures matt thank you so much for doing this i really appreciate it i really appreciate your perspective Always a pleasure, Nick. I'm looking forward to seeing you in person sometime soon. <laughs> that would be great. I hope so. Fingers crossed. This podcast was created by Notation. Notation is a first-track venture capital firm in New York. We work with technical founding teams from day zero. Notation companies are always hiring. Check out jobs.notation.vc. You can also find us on Twitter at Notation Capital. Thanks to Cooley for sponsoring this episode. Cooley LLP is the global law firm for tech, life sciences, and other high-growth industries. 
It is the world's most active venture capital law firm in forming funds and completing investments. At Notation, we love working with Cooley and recommend them to all the companies we work with. Learn more about the firm at Cooley.com and check out its dedicated site for startups and investors, CooleyGo.com. We'd also like to thank Silicon Valley Bank. SVB is the bank of the world's most innovative companies and their investors. Their experts help innovators, enterprises, and investors move their bold ideas forward. Tap into the experience and connections of the SVB team for advice on strategic, operational, and tactical issues and limited partner insights. Silicon Valley Bank is a member of the FDIC. If you like this episode, please share and remember to tag it with hashtag OpenLP.